One of the things I've found in our world and in our society is that we're very divided. I found that, especially over the last couple of years, those divisions have become more profound. There are things that have come to the forefront in our society and in our world that have caused us to be divided, uh, whether it's politics, whether it's personal opinions, whether it's all of these things that, that, that come about, they divide us. And if we're not careful, one of the things that happens when we become divided is that we begin to form enemies in our minds. We begin to think that this person is an enemy because they don't think the way I do or they don't believe the way I do. Now, we know as believers that we shouldn't do that, of course. But if we're not careful, when we look at a divided world, we may be tempted to join in on the division when what we should be doing is sharing the gospel and bringing unity to our world. If we're not careful, we add to the division. And so this evening, I want to look at the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to look at what Jesus says to us about loving your enemies. Now you think about what, what, what kind of subject is loving your enemies when we're getting ready to launch into a new year. I believe that this is key to bringing our world back together to bringing us back together as believers, bringing our society, our country, our state, our communities back together, loving one another. And one of those things is loving your enemies. Now, you may be sitting here this evening going, I, listen, pa Pastor Chris, I don't have any enemies. Wonderful. I'm so glad. But lest we be tempted to think of other people as the enemy, Let's look at what Scripture says about bringing those back together. The Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus speaks to us, talks to us about what it means to belong in Christ. What does it mean to belong to Him? We find that the desire to live out the principles we find in the Sermon on the Mount draw us closer to Him. When Jesus sat on that hillside, that very first message that we have, the longest recorded message from Jesus in Scripture, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, we find Jesus telling us what does it mean to draw close to him? What does it mean to live out the principles that he teaches us? And we're going to find that the closer we draw to him, the more we're able to live out the principles of the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to find it's very, very applicable. Uh, Jesus came to the point, but he made it very applicable to our lives. So we don't read the Sermon on the Mount and say, wow, what a great teaching. It is that. We don't read the Sermon on the Mount and go, well, that was good for them when they heard it, but I don't think we can do that today. No, we don't read it that way. We read it as the words of Jesus saying to us, you want to draw close to me? You want to follow me? Let me show you how. Let's pray. Father, we come tonight, and I pray that as we share together in the words of Scripture, as we share together what you are teaching us, help our hearts, help our minds to be open to what you want to say to us. Father, quicken our spirits to your word, Quicken us to what you are saying. God, help us to draw close to you. Help us to love those who may not be like us, to love those who may have a different opinion than we have, to love those 
who you bring into our paths every day. Father, we have a community, we have a, a county, we have a state, we have a nation, we have a world to reach, a world that's looking for truth. Your word is truth. You are truth. Help us to love others, particularly those that may be considered enemies. Help us to love them with the love of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a hymn by a hymn writer by the name of John Walverd. Maybe you've heard the words of this hymn before. He says, Love was when God became a man, locked in time and space without rank or place. Love was God, born of Jewish kin, just a carpenter with some fishermen. Love was when Jesus walked in history, lovingly he brought life that's free. Love was God, nailed to bleed and die, to reach and love one such as I. Love was when God became a man, down where I could see love that reached to me. Love was God, dying for my sin, and so trapped was I, my whole world caved in. Love was when Jesus rose to walk with me. Lovingly he brought a new life that's free. Love was God. Only he would try to reach and love one such as I. Those words penned by the hymn writer John Walver will speak of the love Jesus displayed to us, although we were his enemy. It is only through experiencing his love for us, ultimately demonstrated through his paying the wages of our sin, through his death on the cross, that truly loving others, truly loving those who may be considered our enemies, is even possible. So I want to take a look this evening at the look at what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about why it is we should be imitators of him by loving our enemies. Why do we love our enemies? If you have a copy of scripture this evening, we're going to be in, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. If you don't have a copy of scripture in front of you, you'll find the scripture on your screen. It comes to us from the Christian Standard Bible, and it is Jesus' words spoken to us. In this part of the Sermon on the Mount, he addresses how we treat and how we love those who may be considered enemies. He says this beginning in verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, 
as your heavenly Father is perfect. How is it that we love our enemies? And the question that comes even before that one is why? Why, according to what God is telling us here, should we love our enemies? I would say this, first of all, we love our enemies because love is a command. Jesus never tells us in this passage, I want you to consider the importance of loving your enemies. He doesn't sit down on that hillside and just begin to reason, right? Well, let me reason with you. I just want to talk with you a little bit. I want to see if I can convince you to love your enemies. No, he comes straight forward with a command. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I can imagine the crowd going, heard that before. How about this, Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. He doesn't come to this passage and say, I'm asking you to. Maybe I can convince you. He says, I tell you, I tell you, love your enemies. It's a command. It's a command that he gives us from Scripture. Now, what we find here is that people that grew up in that day were being taught that to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was what they were taught from the time they were small children. And I think about our society today, and I think about what a lot of parents are teaching their children. What are they teaching them? Love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Now, you may not say, hate your enemy, to our children, but they learn it, don't they? They learn it. Jesus says very clearly, love your neighbor, yes, but love your enemy, too. And I think about that passage and I think about how even by today's standards, loving your neighbor and hating your enemy sounds like normal. But as Jesus often does, and as he does in the Sermon on the Mount, he turns all of those things that you might consider normal on their ear. He just flips them upside down. He says, you've heard this, but do this. You've heard that this is the thing you need to do? No, do this. And so I can see these hearers, as they listen to this, I can see them going, love your neighbor, love your enemy. What? What? I'm supposed to love my enemy? Yeah, it's a command. Why is it a command? Because Jesus knows that the only way we're going to reach our communities, the only way we're going to bring people together is through Jesus Christ. He is the only truth that will unify our world. And so Jesus tells us, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Now, the love that we have is to be continuous. We compartmentalize sometimes, don't we? I'm going to love my enemy in this context, but not this one. I'm going to love my enemy when I feel generous and I feel like I need to love. No, it's a continual action. If you go back and you look at how it's originally written in the Greek language, you see that. That command to love is an active verb, and it's a continual action. You never stop. Never stop loving your neighbor, your enemy. Love them. Continually do this. That means that we as believers must make a decision to obey this directive from Jesus and to love our enemies on a consistently active basis. This type of love is also to be self-sacrificing. 
this is where it gets hard. So if you were thinking, well, I've got to love my neighbor, that's hard. Yeah, self-sacrifice is even harder. This kind of love calls upon us to put aside our own needs for the betterment of our enemies. Now let me ask you a question. Do you find it difficult to put aside your own needs to love your neighbor? Sometimes, right? How about your enemy? Mm, that's even harder. But Jesus tells us, he says, I want you to be self-sacrificing. Put aside your own needs for the betterment of your enemies. But I like what he says here in verse 44. Did you see it? I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. There's the key. So if you're sitting here this evening and you're going, you know what, pastor, listen. I find it hard enough to love my neighbor. Now you're telling me to love my enemy. Yeah, I am. And I'm telling you this, don't do it without prayer. Okay, don't do it without prayer. I like this, that Jesus comes to us and he says, I've given you this tough command, love your enemies, pray, pray. There is nothing more life-changing than prayer, right? I could go around this, this area tonight and I could ask each of you, could you give me a testimony of something that you prayed for that God did in 2022? And I guarantee you, we could share something. But I want you to know this, prayer changes things. And if prayer changes things in your own life, prayer will also give you what you need to love your enemy. Because something happens when we pray for those we consider our enemy. You know what happens? We end up seeing them in a different light. We end up seeing them more and more the way Jesus sees them. And as we start seeing them more and more the way Jesus sees them, we then find it possible to love them. Because Jesus loved us when we were his enemy. Think about your life before you came to know Christ. You were an enemy of his, but he loved you. You came to know Christ. You became, you moved from his enemy to his child. Don't you want that for every person out there? Don't you want that for your enemy? It must include prayer. Pray for them. Consistently bring them to the throne of God. And pray for them. And of course, it's to be all-inclusive. So not only is it going to include prayer, but it's going to be all-inclusive. This type of love shows no discrimination. It will prove impossible to love our enemies when we are attempting to pick and choose who we will love. Hear that clearly. It is impossible to love our enemies when we are attempting to pick and choose who we will love. Jesus doesn't tell us here, love the enemies you choose to love. He just tells us plain and simply, love your enemies. One of the things that it becomes a necessity in your life, the older you get, is salad bars. I find that the older I get, the more I need to eat at the salad bar. And when I go to a salad bar, there are things I like and there are things I don't like. When I come to a salad bar, the first thing I do is I look at what's available and I start picking what I'm going to get. Because you see, there's an art to piling your plate at a salad bar. 
especially if you go to a restaurant or you go to a place that only gives you one trip to the salad bar, you gotta make that trip count, right? So I look and I survey and I begin to say, well, I like carrots. I like olives. I might throw a little cheese on there. I'm not a big fan of lettuce. Ironic, isn't it? Not a big fan. So I limit the lettuce. So my salad is a salad in the loosest sense. But I look and I say, there's the lettuce. We're going to set that aside or just give it a little bit. Ah, there's the cheese. There's the olives. Carrots. Put those on there. I look at those things around there that I avoid and I don't even go near them. And then I walk away from that salad bar with a smile on my face because I have picked and chosen what I wanted. Could it be that sometimes we pick and choose who we will love almost like we pick and choose what we want at a salad bar? We choose to minister to the people we like or who may indeed be our favorites while skipping over those who we favor less. Don't treat loving others like you treat a salad bar. You see, when I walk up to a salad bar, all that food is in front of me. And when you walk out into your communities and you walk out into the, your places of work or into your places, your neighborhoods or your places of influence, listen, you minister to everybody God puts in front of you. You don't pick and choose. You minister to those God places across your path, even your enemies. Listen to me, it's hard. That's why we pray, right? It's hard. But if we want any hope for our nation, if we want any hope for our world, if we want to see 2023 be a year where many, many people come to Christ, it's going to take loving everybody even those we don't favor, even those that we don't necessarily like. It's not really spiritual, is it, to say I don't like something or someone? But you know, deep down inside, we know that's there, don't we? It's in my heart sometimes. But love everyone. Don't pick and choose. We love people because it's a command. The second thing we need to realize is loving others comes through Jesus and shows that we belong to him. If I truly love my enemies, I show that I belong to Jesus because I love them from the perspective of knowing that Jesus loved me when I didn't love him. And I love them and I show that I belong to Jesus. In verse 45 of this passage in, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, instead of passing judgment on his, on his enemies, he says that there is both sunlight and rain, even on enemies. Look at the verse. Chapter 5, verse 45. So that you may be children of your Father in heaven, showing that you belong to Jesus. You love your enemies, you pray for them. Why? For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If I walked outside right now, and it began to rain, and it began to pour, and you walked outside, and it's raining, and it's pouring, 
Are you going to get wet? Am I going to get wet? Am I going to stay dry while you get wet? No. It rains on everybody, right? Sunlight shines on everybody. Jesus is saying to us, listen, love your enemies because you show you belong to me and I love them too. The sunlight, the rain, those things that sustain life, those things that bring life, I give to both those who know me as their Savior, those who don't. They get sunlight, they get rain. Love your enemies. So it flows from that grace and that mercy that Jesus has displayed toward us. When we remember that the love Jesus displayed to us was a love that we did not and cannot ever earn. We discover that the love Jesus displayed toward us that allows us to belong to him is the same love we show to our enemies. In other words, it's supernatural. That's why we pray, friends. It's supernatural love. That's the only love that's going to change our world. That's the only love that changed your heart. That's the only love that changed mine supernatural love you see why we need to pray oh my goodness yes you see why it's self-sacrificing yes it's supernatural we allow the Holy Spirit to do a supernatural work in our hearts before we ever hope to love our enemies when we truly belong to Jesus after having accepted his love for us by inviting him into our hearts and lives we show that we belong to him by loving our enemies with that same type of love. It just follows the example of Jesus, friends. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't pick and choose who he would love when he was on this earth? Aren't you glad he doesn't pick and choose who he'll love today? Nor should we. Love for enemies follows his example. Look at verse 48 in Matthew chapter 5 for just a moment. He said, Jesus says at the end of this passage, at the end of chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, if I just read that verse in isolation, you know what we all might as well do? We might as well just close our Bibles. We're not perfect. That's why you can't read the Bible in isolation. You can't just pick and choose passages out of the Bible without understanding the whole context. Because Jesus just told us right here, be perfect. So we could be left with the thought, well, I'm, I'm done, right? You sin today? If you shake your head like this, you, you just sinned. <laughs> of course we did. So be perfect. What does this mean? What does it mean to be perfect? That word perfect, as you go back to the original studies of it, you realize that that word perfect carries the meaning of showing maturity. We show we are maturing in our relationship with Jesus when we follow his example in loving our enemies. When Jesus says here in verse 48, he says, I want you to be perfect, what he's saying to us is I want you to be mature. I want you to be mature. 
I want you to have enough maturity to love your enemies. I want you to have enough maturity to pray for them. And you know what? We show that we belong to Jesus when we show maturity in our lives, don't we? If you look at somebody's life and you say, is that person a follower of Jesus? You know, one of the ways you do is you look for signs of maturity. You look for fruit. You look for a lifestyle that shows that you belong to Jesus. That's what you look for, right? Loving your enemies is one way to do that. Show that maturity. So Jesus is telling us here in verse 48, he's basically saying, I want you to be mature. Now there's only one perfect person that ever walked the face of this earth, Jesus himself. And we know that Jesus is not only 100% man, but he is 100% God. As your heavenly father is perfect, we know we cannot do that. But we can mature. We can grow. We can love our enemies. Loving our enemies, it becomes a natural result of following Jesus' example. As Jesus hung on the cross and he looked out and saw those around him, many of which had considered themselves to be his enemy, what did he say? What were the words that he spoke from the cross? You find them in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. As Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's nearing the end of his life, having taken the sins of those that, were, that had considered themselves to be his enemy, as he takes all of those sins upon him, and as he dies on the cross, he says this, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. I want to ask you a question. Is that love? Absolutely. Father, don't call down lightning and strike them. Don't strike them dead and where they stand. Father, forgive them. Now, if somebody doesn't know Christ, how do you expect them to behave? Like somebody who doesn't know Christ, right? Forgive them. For they know not what they do. Many times, those that we consider enemies or may be tempted to consider enemies are enemies because they don't know Christ. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, you may say to me, well, listen, uh, pastor, that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 7, verse 60. The first martyr that we have mentioned in all of Scripture is Stephen. Stephen was not only the first deacon that we have men, uh, mentioned in Scripture, and so deacons that are here tonight, hey, God bless you. What a wonderful privilege it is to serve God in that way. And when you want to find an example of a deacon and a servant, look to Stephen. Stephen got stoned for what he believed about Jesus. In fact, the first recording that we have of Saul happens in chapter 7, verse 60. 
Saul is there and as they go to stone Stephen because he stands up for Christ and they go to to stone him for his beliefs it says there that Saul is standing there holding the coats of those who are throwing the stones if there was anybody that had the the uh, that could have the attitude and we could look at it and say I understand that attitude of hey strike them down get rid of them stop this it would be Stephen but yet Stephen says this as he looks upon those who are stoning him as he looks upon those who are seeking to take his life those who are throwing those stones out of a sense of hatred out of a sense of being his enemy he says words similar to what our Savior said on the cross in Luke chapter 23 he says this Lord do not hold this sin against them I believe that Saul heard those words I can't prove it because it doesn't tell us in Scripture the effect that those words had on Saul but I believe in my own heart that they must have affected him I guarantee you that when he heard that in my mind I, I think he heard father forgive them and probably had an impact on his life didn't it Stephen don't you realize that all of these people are throwing stones at you because they hate you they hate what you stand for and you want to forgive them I can't prove it again but I believe that Saul probably took that to heart that day loving our enemies is not only showing that we belong to Jesus loving our enemies is not only a command but I want you to know this loving your enemies points them to Jesus we don't love our enemies listen to me clearly friends we don't love our enemies just so that other people can be impressed by us right wow that's incredible no. nothing we do for the kingdom of God should ever point people to us and that includes loving our enemies what we do for the kingdom of God should point them to him loving your enemies I promise you just as I believe it happened in Saul's life that day who would later become Paul who would write more way more than half of the New Testament was showing Christ loving points people to Jesus one commentator reminds us that loving our enemies the way that Jesus loves us is a powerful way to turn an enemy from an enemy to a neighbor I like that right turning an enemy to a neighbor the wonderful thing about a neighbor is they're much easier to love aren't they so if you want to find a way to easily love your enemies love them to Christ and then they become your neighbor then you can love them better it's a win-win but it points them ultimately to Jesus so how do we do that we point them to Jesus by first of all praying right I can't emphasize that enough friends pray 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 point them to Jesus through your prayers when you pray for your enemy you begin to see them as Jesus sees them and when you begin to see them as Jesus sees them you discover ways to reach out to them then an expert in the law stood up to test him saying teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life 
What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this, and you'll live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question, and he said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers, the one who showed mercy to him? He said, then Jesus told him, go and do the same. When we don't understand that a Samaritan was a sworn enemy to the Jewish people, we miss one of the main points of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is more than just about someone who stops to help someone in need and someone who, who takes care of them. It's about loving your enemy. The last person in the world you would expect to stop and help a Jewish man who has been robbed would be a Samaritan. They hated the Samaritans because when, way back in their history, when they were taken into captivity, they, the, the people that were taken into captivity were taken out of Israel and were taken into Persia. And when they came back to the land, they came back to find that the people that had been left there by the government of Persia had been left there to populate and to take care of that land. But in the process of having taken care of that land, they began to worship the gods of the land. They began to worship all these other gods and all these other idols except for God himself. And so when the people got back from captivity, after they were released, they came into this land and they got angry. And the Samaritans became their enemy. So this story is more than just about loving a neighbor. It's about loving your enemy. Jesus says to him, he says, listen, which one of these... You would have expected that this, this Levite, you would have expected that this priest would have stopped and helped, right? Here's a fellow countryman laying here. We are supposed to be officials of, of God. We're supposed to be the spiritual leaders. I'm not going to touch this guy. He's dead. I can't touch a dead body. I'm going to walk around him. I've got things I've got to do. I've got things I've got to be, places I've got to go. And here comes the Samaritan, the one that this man is supposed to hate. You know, hate goes two ways. 
I'm sure that not only would this Jewish man have hated this Samaritan, but this Samaritan would have hated him. But he stops. And he bandages up his wounds, places him on the back of his animal, takes him to the inn. But don't you love the fact that he doesn't just leave him at the inn? Well, he's yours now. <laughs> Take care of him. He gives him some money. That's a pretty big sacrifice, isn't it? You think our economy is bad today? You ought to see the economy in their day. When he said, I gave him two denarii, I can imagine the crowd going, wow. Listen, I believe this story teaches us at least three things about loving our enemy. First of all, we need to be ready to show compassion. We need to be ready to show compassion. That's what the Samaritan was ready for. Did you see it? It says that after he had been stripped and beat him up and they fled, leaving him half dead, and the priest comes by and the Levite comes by. Look at verse 33. There is a Samaritan. He's on his journey. He comes up to him. When he sees him, he has compassion. Compassion. You need to be ready to show compassion. Say, Lord... Give me someone I can show compassion to today. Isn't that what we need? We need a world where the compassion of Jesus shines through. Be self-sacrificing. That's what the Samaritan did. He took him, took that wine that would have been valuable, used that wine to purify his wounds, Use the olive oil to help bring healing. Bandages his wounds. Then puts him on his own animal. Brings him to an inn. And takes care of him. Your compassion needs to be self-sacrificing. My compassion needs to be self-sacrificing. And then go the extra mile. Go the extra mile. It says when he gets to the innkeeper, he takes him out to denarii and gives them to the innkeeper. And he says, take care of him. And he says, when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Go the extra mile. And as Jesus asked that obvious question in verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The man was left with only one answer, wasn't he? He was left without defense. Obviously, it's the one who showed mercy. So if Jesus asked us that question today, if he were standing before us and, and maybe giving us a parable of, an, of a contemporary example, and he were to ask us that question which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? What would you say? The one who showed mercy. And then Jesus leaves us with that command that he left with this man in verse 37 of Luke chapter 10. He said, go and do the same thing. Go and do the same thing. Friends, listen. Let us love our enemies. 
The thing that strikes me about love and compassion and prayer, all of these words, they're active. They're active. They're not meant for us to sit around and discuss. Well, I come up with five ways to show compassion. That's great. And that's a starting point. But those words are action words. Compassion is active. There'd be no hope for you and I if Jesus would have just thought about dying on the cross for us. There would be no hope for us if Jesus would have just said, well, I'm thinking about it and I've got a really great plan. Be no hope. But no, Jesus' compassion, his mercy, his love was active when we were his enemy. So I would say this to us. Don't just talk about loving your enemies. Take action. Take action. Let's pray. Our Father, we come today. I come to you this evening asking that you would examine my heart that you would show me where I'm not being compassionate where I'm not being self-sacrificing where I'm not obeying you Father I must admit that there's many times in my life that I don't love my enemies like I should. Certainly many times I don't pray for them. And therefore, Lord, I don't see them the way you do. But Father, I pray that tonight that would change in my heart. That if that's where we all find ourselves tonight, that that would change in our hearts. God, as we enter 2023, we enter a divided world. A world where enemies come more quickly than friends many times. And God, may we have a heart of compassion for all around us. Father God, we come tonight inviting you to examine our hearts, not only about our love for those who are unlovely or our love for our enemies or those hard to love, but God, we must start with our own heart. We must ask ourselves, have we come to know you, the supreme example of love? Have we accepted you into our heart and into our lives tonight? Have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to forgive you of being an enemy to, toward him and invited him into your heart and invited him into your life? Have you accepted his gift of salvation, his gift of grace? If you've not come to know Christ as your Savior, I invite you tonight to just pray and, and say, Dear Jesus, please forgive me 
of the sins in my life. Jesus, please forgive me for turning away from you. Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life. I accept your gift of love and salvation. Please be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again so that I can now accept you as my Savior. My friends, when you pray that prayer, Jesus Christ comes into your heart. He comes into your life to be your Savior, to be your Lord. But maybe you already know Christ as your Savior and you need to learn to love and have compassion, especially on those that are hard to have compassion on. Ask God to change your heart tonight. Oh, how our world needs hope. Oh, how our world needs Christ. And he has chosen us to share his love with our world.